known Brad a long time. He, the first time I talked to him was a phone interview. He was sitting in his car trying to get some privacy, and airplanes were going overhead while he was trying to talk to me and Joe Springer at the time. And then I brought him to uh, campus. The first meeting he had with anybody at Bethany was me and my wife, Elaine. Him and Carrie came, and I took him to Beth's Cafe. And, and, uh, and I, took, I got a bunch of heat for that. It's like, why did you take him there? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's when Brad decided he wanted to work for Bethany. Right? That's, that was a home run. Like, he loved that place. So anyway, um, I do a lot of things on staff here. But one of the things I do is our, I co-lead our faith and work ministry with Pastor Megan. I've been doing that for four or five years. And I'm just really today going to share with you a little bit about faith and work and what we do in that ministry. Hopefully, if I'm like anybody that, who talks rarely, like once a year maybe, uh, I'm going to try to say way more than I should. I'll you know, cram in too much. I'll watch the clock and let you out of here. But um, if you can just take away an idea around faith and work, maybe your own personal walk or... Uh, somebody else, or how you might get involved in somebody else's life, kind of vocationally, and how their faith might integrate into their work, have an idea of what you might do next, think about calling, and so on, then that would be God's work in this. And just anything, take away, I hope that happens today. So I'm excited to share. There's uh, a lot of different lenses to look at our faith in, and a big one that I've seen, and I've really learned this over the last four or five years. It's not like I did this back in my career. I, uh, is this identity in Christ. There's so many kind of battles there, and not knowing what our, how our identity in Christ affects us at work is kind of a big deal. So identity in Christ, and then calling. Now, calling is a bit of a church word. When I first heard it, I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, I, it, it's... Church uses it, the seminary uses it, but kind of figuring out your identity in Christ and calling around vocation is a really important concept. I'll talk a little bit more about that. I spent most of my time in high tech. I'm 35 years in the tech business. I was an engineer. I did seriously geeky things. I wrote code. I did hardware design. I did all, yeah, there's a yay for writing code. And so, and, and then... <laughs> And then I ended up in business, business strategy, started my own business with my wife, which would not have started without her, by the way. Um, she's not here. She's on one of those little knee scooter things, and there's too many stairs, so I'm sorry you don't get to meet her today. But I've worked in small corporations, large corporations, and here I am at a church, working at a church, called in a way that uh, I never imagined. Like, I, there's... There's no way I ever thought I'd be working at a church. So Elaine and I started this church in our house based on the video feed of Bethany Greenlake. And we ended up with 32 people in our house. And I'm in there talking to Richard. If you don't know him, he's the senior pastor. If you're new here, he's our senior pastor. Jim and Joe, other guys on staff about, hey, we want to turn this into a congregation, which was the original vision and they uh, really didn't want us doing that. It was, uh, we heard no three times. Well, there's an Eastside congregation today. And when, in the middle of those conversations, somebody said to me, I wish you'd think about coming on staff here. And I said, there's no way. That's not happening. Uh, terrible idea. 
And, and then it just kept coming at me, and they followed up with me. And I'm like, you know what? I don't feel equipped to do this, but I feel called. And I went and did it. I mean, how different is rolling out multiple locations than rolling out products at Microsoft? I'm like, it's not that different, right? But it turns out it's, <laughs> turns out it's quite, a bit, quite a bit different. Quite a bit different. So, and, uh, so I've learned a ton. It's been good. Um, I think it's been good for the church as well. And the kinds of things I do at work is figure out how we stay in this homestead, for example. So I do a lot of operational stuff around the church. Uh, somebody told me they, they wanted me to come on board because I was pushy. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. But I suppose uh, there's a little, I have a little bit of that in me. So uh, I get excited about technology because it's my roots. It's crazy what's going on in technology, computers, televisions, blood pressure pumps, pulse monitors, diabetes pumps. Uh, it just goes on and on. And it's really creating a little bit of a frenetic pace in our environment today that's driving people a little crazy. So people are, are having trouble dealing with that frenetic pace. Some of that's around technology. But the truth is technology's been around a long time. We think of technology as things that have happened in our lifetime. But not that long ago, I wasn't around, uh, there was no electricity. Like, there wasn't any electricity just over 100 years ago. And, um, I mean, like 200 years ago were nails. Like, there weren't any nails 200 years ago. So there was a lot of technology that went, has gone on along the way. In 70 AD, people were putting little white stones in the walkways so the stars and moon would hit them and they could see their way at night. There's always been technology. It's not like it's a new thing. We just have to figure out kind of how to ingest it and how to not uh, let it go crazy, drive us crazy. If you look at Martin Luther, if you don't know who he is, he had a big impact. The, the Catholic Church was selling pieces of paper. They needed to build a cathedral. They were selling pieces of paper to raise money to build that cathedral that said you're absolved of your sins. And so you'd give them money, and they'd give you this piece of paper. Martin Luther hated that, and that, this is in the 1500s. You take, he wrote this 95 Theses, they call it. He nailed it on a church wall, according to legend, and really attacked the Catholic Church. And that's when the Protestant Reformation kind of started. It was a huge change for Christianity. And all of us really are here because of that. Like this is part of that Protestant change that happened. That happened because the printing press and his papers came together in that time frame. Long time ago, technology once again comes in and that was a bestseller at the time. So here we all are in this church as something that happened a long time ago. If I look at, uh, we have an online congregation, speaking of tech, uh, it's our second largest congregation. There's six to 800 people watching in 67 countries that, that are involved with Bethany and that congregation. Now, it's a value for us for people to meet face-to-face like this. That's not, some of these, we, there's a church in California, 4,000 people on a Sunday, 11,000 people online. There's some big online congregations on there. It's not really Bethany's value that way, but we do want to make it available and kind of an on-ramp 
into coming in here and having a relationship in a real community. So that's a value for us. But it does let us get to people. Some people can't get out of the house, and they have a place to go to church. So it's always been around. Uh, I feel for, like I was with an Uber driver the other day, and he said, my job's going away. Self-driving cars, it's over, and he's lost, right? Like he doesn't know, and it's an opportunity to talk about the gospel, not just as a peace and comfort, but also the creativity that comes from our creator for the next new thing that he might do. Like there's always something new to do out there, and it's just an opportunity. People are, um, they're kind of lost, and they, they see their work as all-consuming, living for the weekend, retirement to, like, living for retirement, or working for retirement and kind of getting out of there. And I look at all of that as why, if, if people can understand the gospel and the creativity that comes from our creator through Jesus Christ, they can have a whole new opportunity. You don't have to be stuck and kind of dead in your job. Um, there's just a ton of need out there. I look, my, my dad and granddad both retired in their 80s. And dad was like, what am I going to do now? Well, today, he's watching an 8-year-old and a 13-year-old uh, with disabilities. And he takes them to school every day. He takes them, takes them to church on Sundays. And he's 90. And so when people are tired, you know, of chasing kids around, I'm like, you think you're tired? My dad's exhausted. Like, it's, you're not 90 yet, so just keep, keep moving. So anyway, uh, there's just so much that people can do uh, in retirement. I, I was talking to Glenn earlier. He was out in the mission field, and I heard all these seeds of planting of new life out there, and it, there's just so much work to do out there. So anyway, back to work. Um, a Gallup poll says 80% of people in their job are disengaged. That poll happened 10 years ago. It happened again in the last few years. really hasn't changed much. People are disengaged in their work. And I'm encouraged. I look at Ezekiel 37 and the valley of dry bones there. When people think their job is dead or in retirement they're dead or their wisdom in old age is dead, the valley of dry bones comes to mind for me because those things can all come alive in Christ and through God. There's an opportunity to bring these things back from the dead if you think you're dead in your work. So we just need that creativity from our creator. And, and I would say the conversations relative to the gospel are huge in this. And if you are doing this alone, don't. So... In terms of the gospel coming into our work, my experience has been often awkward evangelism. So it's, it's um, I had a client at Microsoft once who uh, one of her employees would come up and say, hey, I'm praying for you. And she'd come over to me and go, that's creepy. Like, I, I don't know that guy. I don't. That's between him and the man upstairs. Like, don't say that to me. I don't want to hear that. So you hear that. You see a Bible on the desk that hoping somebody will ask or inviting people to Easter service, all that kind of stuff 
goes on. But in the case of the guy that was saying, I'm praying for you, he actually wasn't doing that great of a job. It's like, how about as a Christian, you do an awesome job at your work and do something with excellence, and then people will say, what is that? You know, I'm really interested in what that is. And then, I mean, you can say, I'm praying for you. I don't really want to diss all of those kind of evangelism things at work because I think they're powerful and they can plant seeds. But sometimes they can be a little bit of a bullhorn on a corner person that might chase somebody off. And does it plant a seed? Does it? It's something for everybody to figure out things. So anyway, um, three lenses that, uh, that we look at, and this is in our faith and work um, curriculum, and it's heart, community, and world. And I'm going to go through those quickly. I'll spend most of my time on the heart And this is our own identity. So work can very much be our identity in many ways. Ask a question. If your friends or family, mom and dad, if they're still around, say, what do you do for a living? What's your job? How important is that answer to you? Like where you work, your title, how much you make. All those things. If you start finding yourself going, that's kind of an important answer. And I can tell you in a group of 30, 5 to 7% of those people, um, it's not not that important to them. The rest of them, it's a pretty important answer. That's the first kind of sign. And I'll tell you, I still have it. Like, it's still important to me. But... That's where your identity in Christ is like, oh, I'm not quite sure I'm there. Like, I'm not comfortable in my identity with Christ. I'm more like my identity's in my job, what I do, how much I make, what I'm able to buy, the car car I'm able to buy, the house I'm able to buy, whatever comes along with that job. So it gets gets exposed in many ways. Um, Corporate life, my my main experience... It's in performance reviews. It's in who's going to lunch with you, how big's your office, who copied you, who's on an email, important email, who are your lunch buddies, like who's going out with who, who kind of who's, there's this who's in and who's out thing that goes on in corporate life. And it can be really painful for people if they're, they kind of don't feel like they're in. And so this identity in Christ comes to rest, and you can find this peace and comfort in knowing him. Um, People-pleasing is huge here. It's really common, uh, maybe the most common, and I certainly found myself in that. I mean, when performances starts getting tied to compensation and stock options and promotions, raises, gets tied to all that, it's really hard to kind of separate those things from your identity in Christ. But it's a really good lens to kind of look at and go, what's important to me in, the, in that world? Uh, also in this heart space are these things that are annoying. Like somebody says something in a meeting and then somebody else says the exact same thing in that meeting and you're like, really? Like that seven seconds I'm not getting back. And... <laughs> And, and then you start going, uh, you start looking at your colleague going, did you hear that? Uh, and then you start checking out, like you just sink down in your seat, start looking at Facebook on your phone, maybe do a couple emails, 
And you really start kind of tearing the group apart with these, this ugly response to this person that, that did this, right? I've done all this, by the way, so this, this is how I know mostly about it. But I love thinking about the why of my own heart when I react that way to these, these certain things. It's like, why am I doing that? Why don't, maybe that person didn't hear them. Maybe they needed to feel heard. Like, why do I have to all of a sudden be this judge in the room that says that was really uh, ridiculous? So I think if we can get to that point of that expression of our identity in Christ, and, like where our work flows out of our identity in Christ and, and doesn't, is, is not our own identity. Flows out of our identity in Christ is not our identity. It's huge. So anyway, these are things that we talk about in the faith and work ministry, kind of how people react to these things, exposes your own heart. Now calling, I'll talk about this a little bit. I mentioned it earlier. It's a little, again, a little bit of a church word, uh, a little bit of a seminary word. I never knew what it meant, but you can stop here with, it's about the caller. It's not about you. It's about the caller. So that's God. God calls us to certain things. Oftentimes, we're just trying to be fulfilled, or how does, how's my life like perfect? And we're not really listening to where we're being called. It's like, all about us kind of thing. So, you know, you can be at work. Um, we, see, we see people that just, they think they need to quit their job. This happens all the time. And what we've seen as people look at themselves in the, all of God, God's story from creation to fall to redemption to restoration, that pattern that is the whole biblical story can also come into a situation at work. And you could find more creativity than you ever saw. You could find, realize you're in, among a bunch of fallen, broken people, and that maybe, maybe your reaction to these things is about my own brokenness. Uh, you can look at the redemptive power of Jesus Christ in that and then the restoration of that relationship. That cycle can happen right there in that job that you're, you think you're supposed to quit. I can tell you when we, we've seen about 50 people go through our faith and work curriculum. It's a nine-month program that happens. Many of them are lost in their vocation and they think they should quit and most of them don't. They figure out it's actually them. So uh, some of them do. They go back to school. They're like, they figure out their calling. They do something else. They get some um, confidence in going out uh, in their new kind of newfound identity in Christ. And that happens for sure. But generally people are like, oh, maybe it's me in that world. So the very reasons that you might want to quit your job, you might be being called to that dark place to be a witness for Christ among all of that that's going on. So anyway, uh, how, do you, how do you figure it out? Discernment. This is the hardest thing. Really hard for me. I don't have any kind of silver bullet, crystal ball. How do you figure this out? But it's really hard. I, I'm curious, uh, this... If, 
if you're thinking about changing jobs, do you ask anybody around you? Do you ask your family? Do you ask your community? Do you, or do you tell them after you change jobs, hey, guess what, I'm working over here now. Uh, that, by the way, is typical. That's the norm. Most people don't ask their community. When I meet people, young people that engage their community, including maybe their parents that they, they don't want to hear from, like they, we tend to ask people that we think will give us the answer that we want instead of somebody that might not. Um, when I meet young people that actually crowdsource it, let's say, uh, I'm amazed. I'm like, how did you figure that out at such a young age to go do that? I never did that. I was the, I'll tell you, after I've changed job person, always. Like, I didn't really want to hear anything from anybody. I think it's a pride issue. I think it's an arrogance issue. There's a bunch of stuff wrapped up in that that makes us not ask the people around us. So in terms of discernment, that those people around you is huge. I watched... Uh, I could tell a story on myself, but instead I'll tell a story about my daughter. Uh, she's, uh, she's my oldest. She's 34. She went to PLU on a piano scholarship, went into mechanical engineering, went into architecture, computer science, uh, finally said, I got to get out of here, got a psych degree, goes to... I don't know why that's funny, but uh, I think it's funny, but I don't feel like I should laugh at it. Because uh, uh, what do you do with it, right? Uh, gets a psych degree and then goes off to Siwatanejo and is dating a snorkel instructor, thinking she's going to marry him and live uh, just with barely anything. Uh, ends, up, ends up working in a um, bar... Uh, doing accounting, she's upstairs in this bar, and she said she was managing literally crackheads. The woman that owned the bar was um, was a uh oh, you know my daughter. Don't tell her I said this. Uh, this uh, woman from the U.S. owned this bar over there, and she did accounting. So she walked in there. She was fluent in Spanish, so she was able to take these shoe boxes full of receipts and figured out the accounting piece, goes back, comes back home, didn't, didn't marry the snorkel guy, um, comes back home, gets a degree in finance, and is now a CPA. Uh, she worked for Clark Newber, hated it, worked for Zillow in finance, hated it, started her own business as a CPA for nonprofits, loves it, took that risk. You talk about a sinuous path of kind of finding her calling. She's a strong believer. She was not afraid to move. Like, let's, what am I going to do? I'm not going to just freeze up and lock up here and not do anything. So she was, um, I'm actually very proud of her for figuring that out. But calling is, a, is not a passive revelation of God's, like a lightning bolt kind of strike. It's a really active discernment with the people around you and trying different things, getting a lot of input, and figuring it out. And then I would say I have a four-legged stool that, that I use, and I have no idea if this is, like, would Richard approve this theology? I don't know. But prayer is one, uh, and I would say prayer by itself, you can often hear yourself. 
Like if you're just praying about something, looking for an answer, sometimes you'll just hear yourself. Second thing is the word. The word, I don't know how it works, but if you spend time in the word, there's revelation in there that I can't explain. It's supernatural. It's not a, oh, I have this question, here's that answer. can be that. But oftentimes, it's just a revelation that comes from spending time in the word that goes along with prayer. I think worship is the third thing because it's a time to let down your pride and say, God, I'm here for you. I surrender to you. I'm, you know, help me figure this out. And then fourth is wise counsel. And I would say any kind of counsel, wise or not, uh, it will help you with being a mirror into what you're thinking about doing. But those four things have always worked for me And I rarely remember to do them all together. But if I do, it's amazing the response that will come out of that. And I would say for me personally, it's the word. Like if I spend time in the word, the revelation that comes out of there, I don't understand it. But it is God's word and it will have a certain impact in that way. So that was, that's kind of that heart, individual, how do I deal with that? I'm going to talk about community a little bit. As we start to change, the communities around us change. Maybe the team is broken that you're in. Maybe it's a group of um, individuals that come, al- come along together and help a fledgling business, like you have an expertise in accounting or legal work or project management, and you all come together as a team and help somebody that needs help, that's an opportunity uh, to step in, as, step in as a community. And it may be back to how we react uh, if promotions happen around us. I saw it all the time at Microsoft, like, why did they promote that person? I don't get it. And you can either decide to check out and sink back and undermine that team, or you can lean in and be part of what could be a beautifully restored team at your work. And you kind of have that choice, and just decide if your identity is in Christ, then your time will come. Like, it's not just wasn't your time, and you didn't get that promotion, so you stay in the game, and don't undermine and kill everything. And to me, the gospel is what closes that gap. We're broken, like the way we react, our human reaction, all that stuff is real. And the gospel closes that gap and lets us be part of a renewed, restored team. So that's the community piece. It's this selfless um, calling to community, even though it might feel impossible at the time, and it can be pretty hard. Uh, And then the world around us, beyond this kind of tier one, tier two, friends, acquaintances, are we changing the world around us? For sure we are. We may not know it. It's multi-generational. Some seed that you plant. This is something that I really, I read this book about 20 years ago. It's called The Lost Boy. This, and the author was in the uh, foster system, grew up in the foster system, 20 years ago I read this, the one thing I remember about this book is this kid was working on his bike, had it turned upside down, and a neighbor came out and handed him a wrench and said something encouraging, spent less than 30 seconds with him. And it was huge in that kid's life, huge. And the guy's writing books, he wrote a second book, 
He's out there promoting this. That neighbor doesn't know that happened. He just did it. And it planted a seed that is changing the world a little bit at a time. For me, I, when I look at big systems, and I, and I look at our church as a whole strategy and all that, I'm kind of like, I've got this arrogance that's just, hey, I want to do something big. You know, I want it to change something big. It's like, that's pretty arrogant, really, to think I can change everything in the next, you know, whatever, however long I'm left on this earth. It's pretty arrogant. Like, how can I plant a seed with somebody else that then two generations from now just blossoms? You don't know the impact you're having today. I've, had, I've, I've been around long enough now to have had people come back to me and say, do you remember when you said this to me? And it made all the difference. And I honestly don't remember. I've never remembered saying those things to anybody. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder how many terrible things I said to somebody <laughs> that, that just you know, knocked them off the rails. And so it really makes you think about your tongue a little bit, like how, how could you mess somebody up and then you don't even know it. But the positive things are good. And all my kids have recovered, by the way, so it's fine. Uh, so, so societal impacts are long run. Hey, Craig, I have a picture I want uh, to show. So this is uh, something we do in our faith and work ministry. This is a group called Urban Impact. Urban Impact is helping people, young people that fell out of the system for whatever reason, often jail, uh, often broken homes, bad education, they can't fit into the system. This Keyshawn is the guy in the front holding this like this. He came into this program with his head down and he said, I can't, I can't do anything. And this group believed in him. He was a year ago stealing cars at, uh, from rental companies and joyriding in them. Uh, a year later through this program, he wants to flip cars. So find a $1,500 car at an auction, put some time and money into it, sweat equity, sell it for 5000 create financing for people that can't really afford cars out there, and create jobs for the 19, 20-year-olds that were like him that are about to get off track. So there's a lot of good work that's going on in the world. This is just one. There's so many things going on in the Seattle area like this. New Horizons is a barista, like teach people a coffee business, for example, to help people get off the streets and do this kind of work. But this urban impact is something that we're getting uh, involved in now. We're working on a mentoring program. So how would we come in and mentor somebody like Kayshawn if you ever, this is a little bit of a commercial, but if you ever want to step into this kind of stuff, you can find us and get plugged into this. Brad knows I sat next to Brad in his office uh, area. So all of that is um, easy enough to get plugged into. There's an endless amount of things to do out there in terms of stepping into other people's lives in this space. Faith and work, there's a bunch. One, I, I talked about this individual, like how can I feel better at work? And part of me is like, you know what, you're making a hundred and some thousand dollars a year and like I only want to spend so much time on that. Like can you get well faster, like be okay faster? And then we can go help Kayshawn who didn't have a chance. 
So, I, you know, I do think you don't have to, like, okay, I'm perfect now. I'm going to go out in the world. You don't have to do that. You just go out in the world, and it'll be a mirror to you. You would learn a ton from this Kayshawn guy, watching him come out of a place of nothing to he's got a business idea, believes in himself, and he's making a case. This is actually, he won uh, first place for... Um, it's like a venture capital. So he had seven minutes to do his pitch and tell people, here's what I'm going to do. And then there was a panel, and he won this thing and got money for it. So it's, it's a thing. I just wanted to show you that picture because it's, it, yeah, yeah, it matters. Uh, so it's a broken world. A lot going on, a lot of places for us to step in as Christians, and it helps us grow in our discipleship opportunity. Where are we on time? Because I have one little... Okay, I'm going, to run, I'm going to real quickly run through the 10 myths of vocation. And this is from a friend of mine. I learned it from a Dr. Matt Koenig, and I think they're really kind of helpful. Uh, the first one, abstract vocation, that Jesus will call us in some abstract spiritual way that somehow this bolt of lightning will tell us exactly what we're supposed to be doing. There's a, there can be a lot of waiting, waiting for that. I believe that happens, by the way. I think it happens. I've heard of it happen. People will testify to it happening. It's not usually what happens. So it's back to that active. Uh, the single vocation. The belief that I have one... This is myth two, sorry. The belief that I have one vocational calling. That though I have one thing I'm going to do and nothing else. It's not true. Like... Vocation is many things. It can be what you're working on at the time, but it, every one of us has very complex callings. We might want to write songs. We might want to do write code. We might want to be a great mom or dad. There's all these different vocations out there. We're very complex. We're unique, complex. It's not one thing. So... I would just say that. I think it's important as if you're around people that you're trying to encourage or not, um, to not reduce them to, like, everybody puts, I shouldn't say everybody, I put, you know, I'll immediately put people in certain boxes, and I immediately realize, whoa, like, they're a whole lot more than that. They're not just that. They're not just that. People are very complex, unique, and with the power of Jesus Christ in their life, they can do amazing things with who they are. So that's that. Uh, Myth three, the missed vocation. This is the idea that I missed something back there. There was uh, the one that got away kind of thing. And this happens like you should have gone to school or you flunked out of school or I wasn't accepted into that school or I didn't get that job or whatever it was. That is, to think that was it and to get in a funk over that is Satan's tool. Like, I, I can't say it any different than that. God does not believe that about us as individuals. He believes that we have a whole lot to do as part of his, we, we were made in the image of God. Like, we have a lot to do in his kingdom here on earth, and we... It didn't get away. That one got away, but there's something else. And there's something else, and there's something else after that. So the one that got away, the missed vocation. Uh, Myth four, the extraordinary vocation. 
the belief that if I am called by God, it is going to be extraordinary. That's how I'll know that God called me. I'll have this amazing job saving babies, saving whales, saving baby whales, whatever my mom... My mom will be telling everybody about what I do. Like, it's just this amazing thing. Um, That's not really what happens in vocation. So, could happen, not necessarily. Uh, Myth five, the platform vocation. I don't really like my job, but I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus here. Like, that's all I'm going to do. This is my platform for that. Safe enough. I'm going to be that platform. This is my vocation. Or it's a platform for me to do the real work. And the truth is, that job is actually the real work. I, I feel like I'm saying something against evangelism. I'm really not. But in terms of being at work, it's not just about it being a platform for evangelism. It's like, do a great job with that. And if it's not the right thing over a long period of time and you sh- figure that out, then move on through all of those discerning tools that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the oppressed vocation. Now, this is the one, this is, this is number six, uh, the op- oppressed vocation. Sometimes Christians will kind of say, hey, you know, God's got you in that difficult job right now, and they'll keep you there for a long time telling you that. Now, I talked about maybe you're called to that dark space right now, but maybe you're not. Like, maybe you actually need to quit. And if you have people in there that are kind of like, oh, you're just depressed right now, like it's a hard place, hard to be a Christian in the workforce, maybe not. So you still want to go through that discerning process and not just be okay with being oppressed in your vocation. You don't have to be. Like you can keep moving on. Uh, myth seven, the simple slash obvious vocation Uh, This is God's voice coming in a big way to tell you exactly what to do. And again, I said, I think it happens, but I think he also comes in whispers. And you have to listen, pray, be in the word, talk to people around you, move. You kind of can't steer a car that's sitting still. You know, you got to move and uh, figure that out. But it's... um, it's not always, always simple and obvious. It might be you think you want to be a youth director at a church, and instead you work for the Boys and Girls Club doing youth work there. Or maybe you end up at a camp, or maybe you end up working in a commercial space that actually has a P&L involved, and they're for-profit, and you somehow start a youth um, or some kind of a daycare within that company. You're an advocate for that. I mean, there's all kinds of little different things that your passion might feed wherever you end up. So it's not that simple, not that obvious. Uh, The superior vocation. This is number eight. Certain callings matter more than others. We get this actually at the church. People think they want to work at a church because they think somehow it's better than working out in industry because it's really, that's really the work. That's where God does his work is there. It's like, no, that's not really, that's really not true. Um, I mean, a church is, just to give you a little insight, we have a pretty large staff. It's a lot like a, a regular job. Yes, we have chapel once a month. 
we do that kind of thing, but it's not that different. Like we have jobs to do. We're trying to get things done all the time. We butt heads. People send emails that I don't want to read. Like they reply all or whatever it is. Like it's all, it's all that stuff. Uh, it's not any different really. So superior callings, and you'll see this. My one example I would have is in the medical industry, all the different levels of nursing that are involved. Then you have doctors and People start acting like some of those are more superior than others. They aren't. They aren't. All those different levels are super important, and it doesn't matter kind of where you are in the chain. So not one thing's better than the other. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, this perfect high-level job to be really important to people. And I think it's a little bit of a trap to think you aren't where you should be that way. Uh, number nine, the solitary vocation. Uh, this is what I mentioned earlier. I won't go into it again, but this is about making these decisions alone. I did it all the time. I talked to Elaine, my wife, a lot about it, but I did it alone most of the time. And I don't think it's healthy. Like I think there's, and I'm pretty sure I didn't want to hear what other people had to say. Like I didn't really want to hear it because I thought maybe they'd tell me don't do that. And so I, and I wanted, I knew I wanted to do it. And so I went it alone. I think it's a bad path and I did it more than not. Uh, And then myth 10, the self-actualizing vocation. This, This job uses all of my gifts and fulfills all of my needs. That's not gonna happen. Like it's, it's just not, there's parts of every job that you just don't wanna do. And uh, to think that I'm not happy here because it's not fulfilling all of my needs and I'm not, all my gifts aren't being used, so I'm going to quit and go to the next one, and that's worse. Or maybe a little better, but it's never going to be perfect. So anyway, those are the ten myths. I would just say uh, kind of lighten up. Um, and, and uh, you know, think of it as a long run. You know, it's a voc- vocationally especially, it's a long run. It's not a sprint. I can't, I've had so many different jobs from writing code, being seriously geeky, to selling, to business, business strategy, big corporations, working at a church. I might do something else. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not going to retire anytime soon. I have no plans to retire. My, like I said, my dad and granddad worked into their 80s. That's what I'm going to do. I don't want to retire. Now, look, Glenn retired, and he was a, he was a big fan of it. But he's out in the mission field now, like going crazy out there, like probably busier than he's ever been. So uh, there's always that next vocation, and it's a huge opportunity. So anyway, I put a lot out there. I told you I was going to say, I probably left something out, but say more than I wanted, than I should. (laughs) But that heart, your own heart, individual community, people around you, world, what are you doing to reach out and plant a seed? Just do a little something that's generational in its benefit to the world. You don't have to see it today. Don't be arrogant as I am that I want to see it today. It's like, that's not really how it works. Um, Identity in Christ, that's huge. This verse that was up there is key to understand that. And then calling, I mentioned it's about the caller. It's not about us. It's about the caller. So getting close to him. 
And uh, back to my commercial for Urban Impact or whatever, if we would love help, there's a ton to do. If you feel like you're kind of, I want to do something to use my gifts and talents, then reach out, find Brad, find somebody in here. People can find me. Uh, We'll get you plugged into something like that.